0: And welcome to Pop Culture 5, I'm Thomas Senna. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a podcaster. To me, being a podcaster was better than being President of the United States. Even before I first wandered into the studio for an after-school job, I knew I wanted to be part of them. It was where I belonged. And with me as always, is the Joe Pesci to my Robert De Niro. My man, Deremy Dove. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, man. Deremy was one of the most feared guys in podcasting. He was first on air at 11 and was doing shows for production companies when he was 16. Long episodes never bothered him. It was business. But what he really loved to do was veto my choices. I mean, he actually enjoyed it. Deremy was the kind of guy who rooted for the bad guys in the movies.
1: I can't complain at all. Like Coming off of Eddie Murphy movies and now the topic that we're doing today, I think it's just it's a cinephile's dream, if I'm going to be honest with you. So yeah. I'm so pumped for this.
0: Yeah, this is a good one. So this week we're sticking with movies and delving into the films of a director. So last week we did uh, Eddie Murphy movies. This week, we're sticking in the movie realm, and we're going to discuss five essential Martin Scorsese movies, as chosen by me and Deremy. And this was actually prompted by the release of Killers of the Flower Moon back in October. And I think it's gotten pretty good reviews. Uh, you saw it, Jeremy So did I. And yeah. so being Scorsese fans, being movie fans, it was so, sort of a must-see for me. So that's what's prompting this. And, yeah, what a better time to do it than now. So, Jeremy, I'm curious, like, what's your relationship with the films of Martin Scorsese? Yeah, and I was thinking about this, getting ready for this episode,
1: and looking at, like, his films is one of those things where, I'll be honest, due to, you know, the nature of his films, and also, like, you know, it's not at a young age, at least for me, that I got into him. It's more when I got to high school, and, you know, being a movie fan, and I feel like, He's one of those Mount Rushmore directors where if you're a true, like, cinephile, a true movie fan, you're going to have that. Well, you got a deep dive of Scorsese. You got to see all those movies. So it was around high school and meeting other film fans. Uh, my friend Jim, I give him props. He is a big movie guy and he loved a lot of Scorsese films. So around high school is when I started diving deep into all these different movies and really understanding why he is someone that so many people look to as a, a Mount Rushmore type of director.
0: Yeah, similar because he you're right, he has the types of movies where you don't necessarily seek them out or fall into them when you're a kid. Though I did grow up watching a lot of HBO and I would I would see more adult movies than mm-hmm. than I probably should have seen. <laughs> right, right. I think I mentioned this before, but not adult like like sexual content or nudity, just adult themes. Yeah. Like kramer versus kramer like a movie about divorce like a good old-fashioned adult like a courtroom drama or like just with really adult themes i guess i used to watch when i was a kid on hbo but i don't think they showed many scorsese movies like on cinemax or hbo so they tend they really did escape me i think when i was in high school much like you I, i think i saw casino and goodfellas yeah, maybe the first couple, but even then, I didn't necessarily attach it to like one director. I wasn't really in the mindset of watching these movies like, oh, it's the same person who's directing these movies or behind it. Maybe Spielberg, something like that. I knew of like, oh, this is a Spielberg movie, uh, but I really didn't take a lot out of the same person directing uh, some of these movies when I back when I was maybe a teenager. But do you? I mean, is that a selling point for you? As far as like, are there directors where you just have to go check out anything that they're releasing?
1: Yeah, for me, there's no director that I just go to blindly. Like, I'm just like, well, they made this movie, but there are directors who I I follow more, and I'm going to be curious more about when they when you're hearing that there's a new movie coming out. I'm like, oh, this person has something. I'm going to dive into it and kind of hear. I'm I'm someone when it comes to movies, unless. It's something that, oh, I already have an interest in right off the bat. I need to kind of hear a little bit of a buzz or hear what's going on, either right before or right when it came out, and then I'll take that decision. Now, I, I do take chances at going to the theater where I'm like, I don't know, but I hear it might be okay, or I don't know, but it looks interesting to me, but I'm hearing bad things. I'll still go, but there's not a director where I'm like, oh, their next thing, I have to go, like okay. just based on their
0: name. Okay, and Killers of the Flower Moon, so you so you were prompted. Possibly because we were talking about doing a Scorsese episode. True. Yeah, that was a big reason. But would you have been uh, compelled to go see it otherwise? Yeah, because of... So it's a combination. So for
1: actors, there are some actors I just go because they're in it. You know, Denzel comes to mind and stuff like that. But it's a combination for a director of their previous work. What the script, what the plot line, what you're hearing about, you know, a, a combo that with a trailer and also who's going to be in the film. So seeing the trailer for it, knowing about, you know, the Osage community and then seeing DiCaprio and De Niro going to be in that movie. That all got me interested anyway to want yeah. to go see
0: this film. I'm a little of the opposite. There are certain directors that I'll go in blind for. I'll probably get some people might call me like there's a term like out there in the internet film bro, which is like they talk about, oh, you're only interested in Scorsese and Tarantino and blah, blah, blah. That's not true with me. I like I love those directors, but I'll go see I'll go see anything pretty much with Oscar buzz, too, because I'm just kind of curious. But Scorsese is one of those where I'll make sure to check out anything that he releases. Uh, Wes Anderson uh, is another one I like his aesthetic and stuff so I'll go check out any Wes Anderson Paul Thomas Anderson Tarantino uh, Greta Gerwig is turning into that type of director next film yeah. she releases after Barbie and Lady Bird and Frances Ha she's on like a really good start to her career so uh, Greta, a great run yeah great run so Greta Gerwig's one where I uh, I'll definitely go check out her next movie so I'm a little bit the opposite I kind of Put my faith in, in a lot of these directors, as far and I, and I'll be honest, like I don't regret if I if I don't like one of their movies, I won't regret having seen it. That's just kind of the the chance I'm taking. I'm looking at you, Isle of Dogs, West. <laughs> oh, like that movie at all, but I'm glad I saw it. No, it's interesting. Yeah, there's not. I think
1: directors for me are fascinating. I am into oh, who directed what who like you know, seeing like a film like a thread line and seeing like how their careers evolve i am fascinated with it but i'm a little more patient and hesitant with a director than i am with an actor or actress
0: uh, going into this and maybe looking at so we did a spike lee episode so we, mm-hmm. this is the second director and Martin scorsese that we've done an episode on so what is your criteria or thought process with a director's filmography going into building an essential list yeah that's a good question because it's it's different
1: because they're it's more of like what they're trying to tell and they're usually i mean spike you know has been in some of his movies and starred in and marty you kind of can see he's acted in some of his you know not really starring in but he will act in him Mm -hmm. um i'm looking at What the theme of that director, you know, when they have a body of work and what is that essential themes that I'm seeing? It could be more than one, but or the also the innovation, too. So a combination of both like, wow, this movie or this director really brought this to filmmaking. Or when I watch this director, a lot of their themes are this these kind of topics, these kind of issues that you see and which of their films really presented that the best. Like we say, not your favorite. Any of that, but hey, if I know this director, he's great, or his movies always, or her, they always show this. What are the movies that show that?
0: With Scorsese, I definitely think that there's a lot to choose from in that regard. And we could go a lot of ways with Scorsese. He does a lot of really great movies uh, as far as character studies, a lot of really entertaining movies. So I'm I'm interested to see what the list is, what the essential list is going to look like if there's a variety of different themes uh, of different types of stories that Scorsese was wanting to portray. Just curious to see how our list is going to shape out. Cause going in uh, I have the first pick. So I, I, I have, I know what I'm going to pick first, but then I don't know Then I'm just going to kind of see, like I'm going to take my cues from like what you pick and maybe Same. I want to, maybe I want to pepper it with something a little different or something like that. So that's a lot of fun when we do these essential lists is, is we might have an idea of what we're going to pick. But a lot of it is dictated by one another. And how. Say what Jeremy picks. Then it's like okay that's interesting. I was going to go another way. But since Jeremy picked that. I kind of want to pick this different thing. To make it a more round, well rounded list. Or something like that. So it's, it's interesting how my choice can dictate yours. And vice versa Jeremy.
1: Yeah it always is. And that's the, the fun. It's a fun challenge. But it's a challenge of it. Because sometimes I'm like. These. I have a few. Especially when it's not my pick or it's not my time I'm not the host of the episode because then i'm like okay there's pluses and minuses to it you know i'm not the host so i think my list can be smaller and i have the veto but then i'm like if he takes one of my picks then i gotta be ready for having another pick but and then with the host you know i have more chances to kind of dictate getting out what i want to say but also you get to veto and i better be ready if you veto so it, it's yeah. always fascinating
0: yeah, you're right, That's a good point is is it changes. the mindset going in changes whether or not you're the host or I'm the host uh, that that's uh, that's something really interesting. That's part of the fun of gamifying the podcast <laughs> but like yeah. like like we've done. Uh, I love it. So there are rules to this podcast. We'll get into that. So we are coming up with a list of five essential Martin Scorsese movies. It's not necessarily top five essential. It's Scorsese films that we feel are essential somehow and films we feel like talking about on this episode. So it's not necessarily a ranking. Scorsese probably has 10 to 15 quote unquote essential movies that we could talk about. It's just kind of essential films that Jeremy and I feel that we want to talk about here uh, on this episode. So since I am the host this week, I do have three choices. Jeremy will have two choices, but he does have a veto, as he mentioned. If he chooses to use it. And use it he did. During our last director. Spike Lee. So I tried to push 25th Hour through. Love that movie. I stand by it. But I wasn't hurt. Jeremy used his veto. So I had to choose another one. I almost. I actually did use my veto. For Eddie Murphy movies. Which I rescinded. Because I went back and watched the movie. So I rescinded my veto. So. If we're keeping track, if somebody out there, if we start keeping stats, then does that count as me having used a veto or not, Jeremy? I say it doesn't count because okay. you did
1: caveat it with, you didn't say, like, no, I knew, you did caveat it with, I'm not sure, which I appreciate the honesty. You're like, I'm not sure about this one. So it was kind of like a holding pattern. So I still say, yeah, I won't count it as you okay. using the veto
0: yet. So what? on the record, I've never used a veto. Uh, uh, right. Dere- I can't wait. I'm yeah. D- uh, when it's gonna, the day's gonna come again. I almost did it during Eddie Murphy. Jeremy D- chose Life as one of his essential Eddie Murphy movies, and I had to go rewatch it. I did give the okay on that great movie. I- I'll be
1: honest. If you would have been like, once you agreed to do the homework, if you would have been like, I don't like this movie or it's whatever. <laughs> There would have been some disappointment. We could have yeah. our relationship would have been fine. Everyone, <laughs> yeah, we would have yeah, yeah. moved forward. But I would have been like,
0: "Man, you think you know a guy," and then just Ugh, after having watched life, yeah, after having watched the the movie Life, I don't blame you. Like, I, I would have <laughs> looked down on someone who right? just a little bit who doesn't like that movie either. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. but I'm glad I uh, I said maybe, or I'm not quite sure to that because then it allowed me to go rewatch it. So sometimes we'll do that. Mm-hmm. In these episodes, we'll rewatch something, we'll re listen to something, and then go back and say yes or no or whatever. So Absolutely. That's the fun of it. So here we are trying to choose our five essential Martin Scorsese movies we want to talk about. Shall we get into those choices, Mr. Dove?
1: Yes, sir. I'm ready.
0: All righty. So I have the first pick. So, with my first pick, I had mentioned briefly one of the things that I really enjoy about Martin Scorsese is he does a lot of great character studies. Take an aspect of of somebody and try to figure out why they behave the way they do. Why are they this way? And those are all a lot of times some of my favorite movies. And I think Scorsese, especially in his early days, did that so, so well. Very thought-provoking character studies. So I'm going to go with one that many people consider a classic, it came out in 1980 and it's Raging Bull. It's my first choice as an essential Martin Scorsese. That's not what I heard, Joe. What do you mean
1: that's not what you heard? That's not what I heard. What'd you hear? I heard some things. You heard about me and Salvia? I heard things, Joey. Yeah, you heard that I cracked Salvia all around. What'd things, you hear? Joey. I heard things. What things you heard? I heard some things. Hey, you heard things. You want to worry?
0: Dermy? do you have. As a viewer, do you have any sort of background or anything with Raging Bull? Absolutely, because, you know, people
1: they have been listening know I'm also, and you are too, a big sports fan, and a big thing is also great sports movies. And so growing up, when you're hearing that list of greatest sports movies, Raging Bull is always thrown on there. Now, And I understand why. What I'll say as time goes on is I don't think it's a great movie, and there will be no veto here. Right. I don't think it's a sports movie. I I really think it's a character study. And to me, if the character of Jake Lamada was a, a nightclub singer or somebody else, this doesn't lose any value. It's really just a character study of Jake Lamada and kind of his madness in a way. And I think this is just an excellent choice. And it's essential for a lot of different reasons. And I don't know if, you know, I'll say them if. I'm not sure if you're going to bring it up, but for both Scorsese and De Niro, this movie, to me, is a big like turning point in their careers.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's not a uh, sports movie, necessarily. I think the sport of it, the boxing of it, adds to the aesthetics. It's a lot of those boxing scenes are really well shot. They're brutal to watch uh, in a lot of ways, so that does add to like the mood of the movie. But as far as what the movie's about, it is it is a character study. And I've talked to some people... Especially because I've been I've ran this list by or this exercise by a handful of people, and I've gotten feedback from a couple of them saying, "I don't like that movie because Jake Lamotte is not a good person. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. And, and but to me, it's it's not that simple. Jake Lamotte is a bad person, yes, but why? Why is he? So watching it again, Jake Lamotte is a very insecure person, yeah, but it manifests as anger. So why? It's probably it's probably because, you know, a little bit of nurture, a little bit of nature. He grew up Mm -hmm. in a tough neighborhood back then in the 1940s. Men didn't really know how to confront those heavy feelings of insecurity and, and things like that. A lot of times they would lash out in anger. He, you know, an example is, like, he he was obsessed with Vicky saying that, like, Janeiro, who who he had booked a fight with, was good-looking. Always right. This Janeiro's an
1: up-and-coming fighter. and good-looking. He's popular. He beat him now. Nah, excuse me. Excuse me. What do mean? Good-looking. I'm not saying good-looking. I'm saying popular. Can yeah, you win? well, 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 to say well, good-looking. Boy? I'm not say anything. I'm just telling you Joey's right. Hey, what, you, what, what? What are you, an authority or what? Not get out it. It. Get out of here. Take the baby and get out of here everybody all a sudden, in the sons on the diary about this she's talking about where is she find out he's good looking first of all she didn't
0: mean nothing that's all she said was like yeah it's a good looking guy and he was so insecure he couldn't handle his wife pointing out that another person was good looking but it manifests his anger so that's what Jeremy, that's what i think it's about is it's an insecure guy for whatever reason but how is how is that insecurity coming out in him he's not just a mean guy which he is but to me that's it's it's a little more than that
1: yeah and i and i think you're right and i think it's it's really fighting is all he has that's the only what he has to take pride in that's what he has to express himself and communicate is that fighting that violence and there's a big difference because boxing is a is a sport there's rules and there's not any not just everybody who boxes or is in a combat sport is a violent person so I want people listening to know the difference. But Jake LaMotta was a boxer, but he was a violent person outside of the ring. And that goes to your point, Thomas, of the insecurity. I say also looking at what Scorsese did, I think it's so huge because a lot of times with movies like this that has a a sport element to it. You're kind of hoping that director knows sports is a sport fan knows that sport or all sports in particular, Scorsese wasn't a boxing fan, wasn't a sports fan. And I think Thomas, that really helped the movie. He really focused on the human piece, the element where if you have a director who loved boxing and knew about it, but maybe kind of get caught up in the boxing aspect of it. I think Marty, his genius, his brilliance was looking at the character piece between Jake and, you know, his brother, Joey, you know, Joe Pesci's character or Jake and his wife and looking at this person really self-destructing. And I think in making the, you know the choices of making the movie in black and white, like I think it's one of those times where ignorance was bliss. Him not knowing was such a huge factor, such a huge blessing for this film.
0: I yeah, I definitely agree because you watch the boxing scenes and it's like, do people box like that? I don't. I wasn't watching boxing in the 1940s. Maybe they did, but from what we know as, as sports fans. It's more so dancing around, they'll throw right. punches here and there. In Raging Bull, it was haymaker after haymaker, which might not be realistic, but for what he's trying to depict on screen, I'm glad it was shot like that. The boxing scenes were absolutely brutal, especially his last fight with Sugar Ray Robinson. The close-ups of the punches, the <laughs> camera flashes interspersed with like the punches and and the sweat and blood splattered. It was very graphic and brutal, but I think it needed to be. And it, maybe it wasn't a totally accurate depiction of boxing, but as we said, it's not necessarily a, a boxing movie. So that's fine. And you're right. I'm glad Scorsese shot it the way he did and didn't feel compelled to be tethered to the realism of the boxing. And even though it's in black and white, as you mentioned, it's so vibrant. It feels like the movie's in color yes even though it's black and white like it just feels still colorful and vibrant and i think that's that's awesome to say because it does like it
1: it really doesn't matter that it is in black and white i think it gives it a great look but you're right it still has a vibrant feel and you're still knowing like you still feel when you see the blood splat oh like that you you can picture it just fine it doesn't take away from it i also look at it for the fact that for Scorsese in his personal life where he was. And, you know, Scorsese, he had his battle with addiction. And really, De Niro going up to Marty and saying, you need to do this. You know, Marty, he almost died. And De Niro seeing him in the hospital, you know, Marty, not a tall guy, but still he, with, you know, just the way he was not taking care of himself and with his addiction, he had gotten down to 109 pounds. And really, De Niro looking at this being like he wanted to do this movie, But also knowing his friend Marty is the guy, but also saying, like, you need to be working to save your life. And Thomas, I think, you know, for whatever reason, obviously, God forbid, if the awful the end, he would have died tragically from an overdose. That would have been that's the worst scenario. But say Marty, because he was feeling not really comfortable in the movie business, if he doesn't do Raging Bull, We look back on him as a guy, in my opinion, who he showed some potential, but never really hit it. This movie kind of, to me, put him into greatness, like as far as like, okay, like this is a director who is going to be making a force in movies for the decades to come. Like this was needed to cement his career.
0: That might be a little reason why Scorsese, maybe he felt like he owed something to De Niro or he always looked to De Niro. As far as like putting him in his movies, it's not only is De Niro a great actor, but Scorsese—you could tell—they vibe together, and maybe he felt a bond with De Niro because De Niro did help him, yeah. out, of, out of that a little bit. You know, that's that's a good point. I, I think when you see those two guys together, you know, throughout the
1: years, not just them working, but them enjoy interviews or the way they talk about the other person. When you see them together. It's deeper than just the great chemistry as actor-director. It is a brotherhood, and I think you're absolutely right. This movie was huge because it was it was huge in saving
0: Marty's life. As far as scenes go, I don't know if any stick out to you, Jeremy. I did highlight one. Uh, there was a great scene or sequence, an entire sequence between De Niro and Pesci when Jake LaMotta, played by De Niro, is asking Joey, played by Pesci, if jake's wife slept with sal Mm -hmm. then he asked joey if he slept with his wife so that's all that insecurity like he's just kind of seeing what he wants to see and getting riled up and so when joey leaves there's this sense of dread when jake walks upstairs to go talk to vicky and this is what people mean by the movies hard to watch because it is like the way he treats his wives very hard to watch -hmm. But it's almost like a horror movie when Lamada's walking. He almost reminds me of Michael Myers. Yeah, when he's like walking up the stairs, because there's this sense of dread. You're like, oh no, what's he gonna? He's gonna go talk to Vicky. Like, what's gonna happen? He breaks through the door. The scene's incredibly tense. And then the way he then he goes to Joey's home and confronts him. That's like somebody who you're seeing go to rock bottom mentally. You can see that spiral in Jake LaMotta's brain going out of control. That sequence right there, hard to watch. Yeah, but it's very powerful. I'm going to say this, Thomas, because you made a, a great
1: point that I, I've i thought about, but never with Scorsese. And honestly, you kind of, but you worded it perfectly. I don't disrespect horror movies, but they're not my genre. Mm-hmm.
0: But, Same. you know,
1: I, 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 there are some that I've, I've enjoyed or I've liked. But what I will say is when I tell people who do love horror and ask me why I don't is because what you just said, and I didn't think about that for Scorsese. That's the real scary stuff to me is because Jake LaMotta, that's a it really did happen. It was based on something that's real, but also those real life scenarios. You know, Freddy Krueger doesn't scare me. You know, there's gore and all that. But that real person who you can see and depending on who's listening, you know, everyone has different experiences of that guy who's, in, like you said, insecure and, oh, you're sleeping with my wife and then going to go over and do that. Like, that's the stuff that's, wow, that's scary. And then that makes me stay up at night going, well, what would I do if, hey, I didn't do anything, but, you know, Jake LaMotta came after me thinking I did something. Like, those are the situations yeah. that make me, and that's, like, the real stuff where, like, your heart's racing, you're feeling like, oh, what's going to happen? What's he going to do? Like... And that doesn't get old, even though you know what happens and you know the story, it's still there and you still get your
0: heart racing. That's a great point. Scorsese created a uh, horror movie monster in Jake LaMotta. Essentially, even the way Jake interacts with the world, it's very clumsy, very caveman like. It's not delicate at all. Even when he's talking to people who he likes or who he's trying to pursue, he's just it's just like a caveman. Uh interacting with the world it's just interesting it's interesting to watch this is the i think this is like the fourth time that i've seen raging bull and it gets better each time that i see it which is interesting when i first saw it i was like okay it's good but it maybe it's a little slow and it's a little rough to watch and then i keep watching it and noticing things and appreciating how beautiful it is and by the fourth watch this time around i'm just like this deserves the acclaim that it gets honestly like it's as good as people say it is
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I I totally
1: agree with you. Um, It's one of those movies that gets considered one of the greatest ever. And I think so, because it is just a great character study and director actor to me being on one accord and being on that same page and respecting the dedication. You know, it's people talk about what De Niro had to do as far as his, his weight gain and weight loss to be to get prepared to play Jake LaMotta. And I think you you see how hard that is, or can only imagine how tough that is for an actor to do. And, you know, what's going on psychologically when you're, oh, I got to make weight. Oh, I got to cut this weight. And you need that director who understands and is patient with you and understands, Mm -hmm. hey, to let you do your process. So I think it's also just, when I think of that great relationship between De Niro and Scorsese, and what is essential for a De Niro Scorsese movie? Raging Bull is the first one.
0: Just a, a great movie. It is the, the first choice in our five essential Martin Scorsese movies, Raging Bull. So, dare me, you're up next. Hit us with it.
1: You did me a favor because I, I didn't know which way you would start, and so I'm glad. You picked a great one, and I was ready for it if I had to go. <laughs> but my essential, the first essential Scorsese movie, I have to say, is Taxi Driver. You talking to me? You talking to me? You talking to me? Well, who the hell else are you talking you talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. It is something that is, to me, just... It's one of those things where, like, wow, it, it hits home... For you think of what great seventies movies there were, it fits that mold. But also to me, it shows what the future of filmmaking is and what the future will see, not just in movies, but like that golden age of TV. And Thomas, we've had anti heroes in movies before Travis Bickle. But when I think of what we see later on in movies and even with the golden age of TV with a soprano, Tony Soprano or a Walter White or, you know, um, all these different characters in that golden age of TV with these dramas, I think Travis Bickle is the standard, in my opinion. And the way Scorsese shoots 70s New York, I think outside of a documentary of like about New York in the 70s, if I'm thinking of what's a movie that defines the craziness of 1970s New York City, number one is Taxi Driver. And it's just such a great film, the way it looks at mental health, the way it looks at class, politics, city, race, everything, you know, uh, vigilante, violence, it, gender. It hits on everything so well. Um, I love this movie, man.
0: Yeah, I love this movie, too. And it's you, you hit on the head. That's one of the first things about it that, that's striking to me every time I see it is its depiction of 70s New York City. Right, like it it almost makes it seem like a place that simultaneously I want to be in and I don't. <laughs> yes, you know, like it's I'm so fascinated by it, but it also seems like really grimy and intense and not safe at the same time. So that's one of the first things that sticks out about Taxi Driver. Travis Bickle, he's a veteran, possibly untreated PTSD. They didn't really talk about PTSD around and it was 1976 when this was released. They didn't really talk about PTSD, but I think there's elements of PTSD and untreated Absolutely. PTSD in here, and maybe that wasn't, you know, it wasn't I don't think there was like a name for it or if there was, it wasn't as talked about openly mm. then as it was it is, as it is now. But that's a really big thing that sticks out to me we know Travis he's in his late twenties he we know he's a veteran, he's a marine. he served in Vietnam. so then now what and that's the yeah. that's what a lot of veterans deal with is the now what now I'm trying to integrate back into society. He's pretty aimless often honestly he's definitely aimless in this movie trying to find his way in a world that he's developed contempt for. yeah he looks around and sees the griminess he sees. The pimp Harvey Keitel, he sees all this stuff, and that's how he's justifying his actions to himself. Like I'm this vigilante, he thinks he's doing good. He thinks he's the good guy in the movie, mm-hmm. you know. And that's something else. Like we'll talk about, I'm sure too, is perspective in this movie and what separates the hero from the good guy from the bad guy. Like it's a thin line sometimes, and this very movie, this movie explores that really well, Jeremy. Absolutely, and I I also look at
1: it what the brilliant filmmaking of Scorsese is, you're going back and forth, you know, hey, being a cab driver, and I mean, now you have Uber, but it's still, it's like, hey, you know, you're the driver and you're getting different people for however long coming into your automobile, and that's a different, you're seeing different people, some who are, are talkative, some who are rude to you, some people who are drunk and partying, some people you might, feel sorry for different people are coming in and out of that cab. And I think like Scorsese does, does a great job of, we're seeing Travis's point of view, but then in certain parts, when he's trying to talk to Sybil Shepherd's character, we're seeing, Oh, this is how the world looks at Travis. Yeah. And you're kind of seamlessly going back and forth with it. Which I think is just brilliant, which is like, man, like you have Travis driving around in the car and hearing him talk about it. And you're hearing his scattered thoughts And I appreciate that it doesn't it's not clean because that's not what when your mind's all over the place and racing, your thoughts aren't going to be clean and precise and down to it, like down to the T, you know. So I love that part. But then it kind of flips to where you go. Why would he take a woman on the first date to a porno theater? Right.
0: And and in your back,
1: you're not in his mind of like, oh, this is why you're looking at it from. Sybil Shepard, you know, Betsy's character being like, what the hell are you doing? That's Where are you going?
0: I have leave now. Why? I don't know why I came in here. I don't like these movies. Well, I mean, I, you know, I didn't know that you, you'd feel that way about this movie. I don't know much about
1: movies, but if you I... Is the only kind
0: of movie you go to?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I come and they are, th- This is not so
0: bad. Taking me to a I place don't... like this is about as exciting to me as saying, that's fuck.
1: Um... There are other places I can take you, only other than movies I can take you to. I don't know uh, much about them, but I can take you to other places. Which is different. Wait a second, wait a second. I, I have to talk. go. got
0: to go wait, wait a second. I want to talk to you. Look, don't I just go. Go. Wait a second. Taxi? Can I talk to you at least? I mean, will you at least talk tonight? I didn't know you... Look, won't you take the record?
1: And I just think it's just a brilliant film when it comes to that, man. And, and honestly... You know, Bernard Herrmann did the score Mm. for this movie. It was the last, you know, he pretty much when he submitted this, he died like two days later, tragically. But I think for me, this is in the top 10 of greatest scores in film history. I love that score and that jazzy score. with travis and he's like driving around and look at the scum and and that boom 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 and just kind of going downhill and then that like kind of like love like saxophone when he's looking talking to betsy and you know just going back and forth i don't think people talk about this score enough as one of the greats in movie history
0: i agree it really pushes the movie along so well and you had mentioned like perspective and whose point of view it Uh, The movie is at any given time, especially the end, man, like that deals so much with perspective and societal narrative. So, so of course, Travis gets into the big shootout. Um, Mm -hmm. He goes to basically rescue Jodie Foster's character from that high rise and he gets into the shootout. There's a lot of talk amongst people who've seen this movie and who love this movie, like what's real and what isn't Mm -hmm. at a certain point. So like in the end, at the end, after the shootout and everything, we see that Travis Bickle is almost held up as a hero who's going to battle the pimps and drug dealers and stuff. And when and before that, he almost was looked at as a villain because he was planning on assassinating a politician. Right. So he could have very easily, if the security didn't look at him a certain way or if he didn't get cold feet, he could have been looked at as a villain. But then at the end of the movie, he was this hero because people just processed it or the media processed it how they wanted to. And then the very end when he's in the taxi and Betsy's in the taxi Mm -hmm. and he sees her, is that even real? Is that Travis's dying thoughts? Does it matter? Like I love how Scorsese's playing with that open-ended thing and playing with perspective there.
1: Right. And I I was glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you about what you think. I think it's real. Okay. I think it's real because I think that shows, in my opinion, and I can get into it a little bit, but where we, I'm going to say the truth, where we've always been as a society when it comes to being enamored with violence and being enamored with being the hero. And I think, and sadly, time afterwards kind of proved it right that... Even though all of what he did is illegal and wrong, but because who he did it against and because he's coming in to to save Jodie Foster's character, Iris, that he gets portrayed as the hero and he gets overlooked like like that. And like that's all well and good and great. And the way Betsy looks at him and in the cab, the tables have turned all throughout the movie. She had the power. But then right there when she gets into the cab, he's got the power now. And I think for the wrong reason, but I think it's very real. And so I do feel like that was a real thing because that shows to me the ugliness of society in our being enamored with violence. And depending on, in our opinion, if it's right, then yeah, go on, you know, get them. And and I think Scorsese was showing the danger with that mentality, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I, I flip-flop over the years and I, I've landed on that I think it's real. I think it's a more pointed commentary if it's real for all the reasons that you mentioned, Uh, especially the one character in the movie that should look at Travis with contempt because she went on a date with Travis and started seeing the real Travis and how he interacts with society. And we see it from her point of view for her to then have her thoughts about Travis kind of start flipping at the end is really ties into that commentary uh, in a general way, about how we view, like, yeah, violence and the thin line between good and bad, sometimes, and all of that. So, if Betsy's real, and if that whole thing is real, then I think that's a more powerful statement than if it's just like a Travis's dying thoughts or whatever people say. So, I've landed on that it's it it is real. Yeah, and also the power of celebrity. Yeah. And now that he's in the paper, he did all this
1: thing like now she wanted to talk about it and all. And I think we can look at it. Why this is essential is because what happened five years later, tragically, in reality with John Hinckley, you know, trying, Mm -hmm. you know, having the attempt to assassinate President Reagan. And he said he was doing that to try to impress Jodie Foster, who's in the movie Taxi Driver. That's who De Niro Travis saves her character and that's what he did. And he was impacted by Travis Bickle. And so, I mean, we see with that, we can look at the subway shooting yeah. in the mid 80s with Bernard Getz and how that was praised. And we look at it, what Todd Phillips did with Joker in 2019. And that's a direct line, taxi driver to Joker with Joaquin Phoenix playing the, the Joker. And to me, there was, I love that movie, but it's like taxi driver. 2.0 in my yeah. opinion no no, so, definitely. You know.
0: i think it's an om- it's definitely an homage to scorsese yeah. films and such and Scorsese did say he i think he he felt some regret when mm-hmm. when the whole john hinckley stuff yeah you know, he scorsese did feel bad about the maybe he depicted travis in a certain way he didn't want travis to be aspirational and he I think he felt bad that there was somebody out there who took that as aspirational and took and took motivation from it
1: it's the power of of film the power of pop culture i don't think he glorified no. travis in any way like watching it i've seen it a few times i don't come away with that i think he's which scorsese does so brilliant he's holding a mirror to society and saying this is who we are and it's not his fault at all of for what you know john hankley did but i can't imagine thomas what I would be feeling if this story that, you know, captured the world, the president's almost assassinated and he's talking about your film, the person's talking about your film being inspiration, that's a lot to take in.
0: Yeah, that, that's that's really heavy. So uh, so yeah, so we have I don't know if you have any more to say on Taxi Driver, but I think that's a great choice, Jeremy. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. It's classic. Uh, I
1: think it's um It's a movie to me. I look back on it, and for even though the 70s, and I'll just finish up with this the 70s is a great decade for filmmaking. But I think of all those movies, the one that I look at as like the most daring, I think of Taxi Driver and like the guts it took in 1976 to make that film. Hats off to Marty and everybody involved.
0: So we have with our first two choices for five essential Martin Scorsese movies number one, Raging Bull. And our second choice, Jeremy, chose Taxi Driver. So now it's to me. And usually, so before I would look at, so Taxi Driver released in 76. Mm-hmm. Raging Bull released in 1980. A lot of times then my instinct would be to go to a more recent film. Mm-hmm. And that's where I would go with it. I th- but I think we're in such a good groove talking about these really interesting Scorsese character study movies what I'm about to pick, and you can veto it, but it's a movie that I re re-watched again. It's one of those, like Raging Bull, it gets better and better the more I watch it. And it is a co- character study, a commentary, but it's done in a more, it's a dark comedy. It's a dark satire. So I'm going to go with The King of Comedy.
1: It takes years and years and years of honing that and working it. And there's the only experience. one problem, though. I don't, mean that, I, don't mean that, I don't mean to interrupt you, but there's only one problem. I'm 34 years old. That's why I'm asking if you just listen to me. I'm asking if you listen to my act, that's all. If you listen to my act, then tell me what you think about it. I'll tell you, you know. what. Why don't you call my office? All right, okay. I, I could do... ask for Kathy Long. Terrific. She's my secretary. Yeah, okay. And beautiful. we'll make time to listen to what you're talking about. Uh, you know how many times I had this conversation in my head? This is beautiful. Did it
0: always turn out this way? Yeah, it did. It's a cringy kind of movie. It's awkward, but I think it, ha- it has a lot to say. And it's done in a different way. There's really no violence in the movie. It's done in more of a tongue-in-cheek, satirical, dark humor sort of way. So, Deremy, I'm going to actually throw it to you. Like, King okay. of Comedy, give me your thoughts. I'm interested because I think it's
1: definitely one of one of his best. It's not like a crazy choice. I, I don't want to to say that. I'm just curious because it, it is a heck of a movie, and I've seen the movie. I haven't seen it in a couple of years, I'll be honest. So, I, I do know it, though. Yeah. I'm just curious, though, because... We do have those other films on. Are we saying that that is Marty like is the character studies is like maybe like the number one essential thing we're seeing in his films? Or? For me
0: it, For me it is. For me, that's what I take. like a lot of his films could be entertaining, but my favorite the thing that to me makes Scorsese Scorsese is when he delves into like an aspect of a person. Why they are the way they are, and how that can be like a microcosm of like a bigger thing that we see. That's my favorite, and I think he does it in The King of Comedy in a different way than in Taxi Driver or Raging Bull. And I, it was it was interesting to me and how he does it. But if you think it's too close to the other two, I can go into uh, no my, my fallback.
1: I, I'm cause I'm really
0: considering
1: it. I I think, and I'm not just saying that because I'm along with you, I think I'm not going to put the veto up and and I'll say why is because if I'm thinking about it, it is a character study, but it is done differently. And it is a unique way he does it. That's not, you don't see it often after that either. It's not like he kind of has a run of doing character studies or movies like The King of Comedy. So to me is something that could be looked at as it's still a character, but the versatility he does in his character studies. And I also think, um, what I appreciate and I think he's done better than anyone is looking, humanizing people, even people who are, Hey, they're quote unquote bad guys. You, they're not just all evil monsters. You understand, you see humanity in them. And I think this movie also shows that you do see humanity in Rupert Pumpkin, and you understand, like, he's just trying to make it, trying to, like, have those dreams, and you kind of feel bad for him, too, in a way. You know, he's never going to really make it, but he's... And you feel bad when Jerry Lewis is, you know, playing that Johnny Carson character, yeah. is kind of, like, dismissive of him and kind of, like, putting him down. And I'll also say this. I give Marty credit because... It blew me away because I grew up loving Jerry, Lew- like Martin and Lewis and all those things to get what he got out of Jerry Lewis, which is just him playing a, a Hollywood big shot, you know, television host. But it blew me away, Thomas, the first time I, when I saw I'm like, that's that's Jerry, the guy who hosted telethon and the guy with the hell and the voice. And I'm like to see him just playing like a straight up dude and like but playing it really well. Kudos to Marty. And Jerry Lewis talked about how well directed he felt under Marty. And Jerry Lewis is a accomplished director, yeah. So all those things being said, I'm not going to veto it. I, it, it. It had me at first, but I'm I'm going to keep. I'm good with it. <laughs> you had me in
0: the first half, um, yeah. So I one other striking thing to me about the King of Comedy is so we know Scorsese depicts a lot of things on screen and, vi- and with violence. He creates a lot of tension with the use of violence on screen, Pesci beating the crap out of somebody or whatever. But with the king of comedy, what fascinates me is Scorsese was able to build tension without any threats of violence, really, or violence on screen. And it's all just tension from somebody being delusional, somebody having a parasocial relationship, Which is that that term's come up a lot in recent years. Parasocial relationships. People watch somebody on TV, listen to somebody on a podcast, and they think that they're like close with that person. They start developing parasocial relationships. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening Uh here. Rupert has a parasocial relationship with uh, Jerry Langford. And a lot of people do. Sandra Bernhardt's character does too. So uh, Marty's exploring that he's building that tension and nobody's getting shot in this movie. Nobody's getting beat up in this movie. You're sitting there feeling tense. I even wrote down like 40 minutes in. It's very tense. It's an it's an achievement to feel to watch Rupert behave the way he does, and that tension is building and building and building. To me, that's an achievement. It's something that's that's a lot different compared to most Martin Scorsese movies.
1: And I think that's that's another great point of why, you know, you backed it up even more, of why it should be on the list, because it's holding a mirror to society in a different way. I remember seeing like De Niro to kind of get ready for this. He kind of confronted his stalkers. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, which is fascinating to me that De Niro would do that, but to get into their mindset and it's a problem. I'm not going to say it's a new thing that we're seeing now. Cause it's as, you know, De Niro saw it then, you know, and it went through it, you know, uh, John, Chapman with Jodie Foster. So it wasn't a new thing, but he's holding a mirror to a thing that now, like you said, we have to term parasocial. There's a term for it. And we're seeing it being talked about more and more in different lights. And I think this is a good movie to reference to that. And I think to show like this is what can happen. We're doing a show about pop culture. You know, so there's people who, wave. they influenced us or that song or that show or this movie really touched my life. But you have to have a healthy balance with it. You know, Marty is a great director, but we don't know Marty. You know, we don't know. I respect yeah. his films, but we have to have a balance. Not like I know you, man. Like, I don't I don't know him. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know Thomas. And this
0: movie shines a light on that in a brilliant way. Absolutely. You had mentioned during Taxi Driver about he made a comment on celebrity Ugh. and I think that's very well done in the king of comedy as well. There's a, there's a moment in the movie uh, and didn't, it didn't involve De Niro. It was just Jerry Lewis and a woman. Yeah. And so Jerry Lewis, his character, Jerry Langford is walking down the street in public because he says that he feels more comfortable walking in public. So, you know, if he's harassed or whatever, at least, you know, it's in public and somebody will help. But so, he comes across this lady who's at a payphone. She stops and says, oh, my God, Jerry Langford. Oh, my God, can you sign this? And it's like a Time magazine. So he signs it for her. For her, She then goes on to ask, and she's excited to meet a celebrity. Then she asks to, if he would talk to her nephew on the phone.
1: Morris, you will not believe who's coming down the hill. Jerry Langford, right? Right. Oh, Morris, please hold on. Jerry. Would you please sign my, order? So sign my magazine for me? Yeah. You're just wonderful. I've watched you your entire career. Joy to the world. Please, Lauren, would you just please say something to my nephew Morris on the phone? He's in the hospital. I'm and sorry, anything, I'm sorry. You should only get cancer. I hope you get cancer.
0: So she goes from being excited to yelling at him and wishing cancer on him. In Mm -hmm. a split second. And I think that speaks to like the hot and cold parasocial relationships that people can have with celebrities. And it's Mm -hmm. really well depicted in that few minute scene with Jerry Langford and the woman on the payphone. That was a really great moment that stood out to me.
1: And and also to to further back up your point, you know, this is all pre-social media. So now people really feel like they have it where people may have an Instagram or a Twitter account celebrities and then people really i love that episode or i love what you did and then if no one responds back then it becomes boom like you know just some nasty vile thing that's said mm-hmm. in, in a, a split second and this is him showing society then but i i would love to see if he kind of saw this is it's going to get worse this is not going to this is not like a thing that's going
0: to get better we're going to get worse with this in our society yeah, that's interesting. That's a good point about the social media as well. And I, I wanted to get your opinion if you have an opinion on this, because I think there's a second really neat tension that kind of emerges in this movie, and that's Will Rupert make it on the air, and his is his comedy actually good. Right. So we right. don't see so he's he's this aspiring comedian, but we don't actually see if he's good or not. We don't see his stand-up. And also we're left wondering, is he good? And I know the first time I saw it, I was like, he's obviously you're thinking he's he's obviously bad. He probably sucks. He's probably mm-hmm. a terrible comedian. But I found the way that Scorsese depicted his actual stand-up set when he, when it was time to show it, when he actually did make it on the show mm-hmm. and he did his set. And Scorsese depicted it in an interesting way to me. To me, his material was a little hacky, but it actually wasn't bad. Yeah. <laughs> like the delivery was fine. He was able to mimic a late night host, and his delivery was fine. But well, you know, my parents did put the first two down payments on my childhood, don't get me wrong. But they did also return me to the hospital as defective. But like everyone else, I grew up in large part thanks to my mother. If she were only here today, I'd say, hey, mom, what are you doing here? You've been dead for nine years. De Niro, I think, watched a lot of late night monologues and stuff to get that cadence down. But all in all, Rupert wasn't a bad comedian. He was serviceable. He was competent. That was an interesting choice by it to me by Scorsese to not make him this crappy comedian. I I agree because I think that
1: makes it easy, right? Yeah. That's why he's getting treated the way he's getting treated throughout is because he's a bad you can't. Look at, like, oh, they're big-timing him or they, they're looking at him as a person. You could just kind of even fall back on, well, he wasn't good anyway. But the fact that, and let's be real, with The Tonight Show, it doesn't have the power it does now. But in that era with Johnny Carson, you, comedian, that could make or break your career. And we've seen it, if anyone has seen, like, the history of The Tonight Show or Late Night some all-time great comics, but there's plenty of like middle comics who were on there and made a serviceable career. So you don't have to be like the greatest comic ever to get on these late-night shows and to be asked back over and over. Because like you kind of used the word hacky, but like that like I like serviceable, serviceable comics. There's plenty of them who are on late-night shows and you know them because they're on those shows.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and it worked out for Rupert. And I don't know if he masterminded this. I kind of think he didn't. He probably just fell into it. So he served two years and nine months in prison. He had a six-year sentence. He served two years and nine months. But then when he came out, he was a celebrity. And there was this big to-do about like him returning to late night. And he's going to back from in jail. So actually kidnapping Jerry Langford and then him doing the time. Actually made him a celebrity. It actually helped his career, which I found. So that's the comment on celebrity and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's probably the same network who wanted to send him to jail. It's probably the same network that wanted to sign him once he got out of jail. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And that, sadly, I wish I could say to you and everyone listening, oh, we don't have that now or it's not as bad now. I'd be lying. It's It's worse. Yeah it's worse so that's where it, i i have to say yeah it's it deserves to make the essential list because you're 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 absolutely right for me i think Scorsese does that better than anyone and it's the reason why i think he's a mount rushmore director if not the goat is because yeah. he looks at people who you can relate to and he shows the humanity in them people who you say you can look and say i know a guy like that or i grew up on a street like that and he doesn't just show it the stereotype of like, oh, you grew up in that kind of rough part of the city. Then, oh, you're, you're into crime. You must be all bad or you must have been abandoned. It's like, no, some people, you see the good and the humanity in them as well, too. And it shows that people are gray. So, and I think he does that better than anybody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So the king of comedy from 1982. Robert De Niro, Jerry Lewis, Sandra Bernhardt in a really kind of like chilling, funny, but like chilling performance. She's really good in this. So we have Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, The King of Comedy, Deremy, your pick is up. Where are we going next? We're going to go with what everyone is expecting.
1: What'd you say? You're right. Funny how? Just, what? Just, you know, you're, you're funny. <laughs> You mean, let so? I me mean, understand this, because you know, maybe it's me, I'm a little fucked up, maybe. But I'm funny how? I mean funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm here to fucking amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? I'm not just... You know how you tell the story? What? No, no, I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm funny. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny.
0: Get the fuck out of here, Tommy. <laughs> you <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> I almost had him. I
1: almost had him. Had him. You a stuttering prick, yeah? <laughs> Frankie, was he shaking? <laughs> Goodfellas is number four. I think it's for someone who has so many signature movies, I think it's what a lot of people will say is his signature film. And I think it's someone, the names that we've, you've, you've heard De Niro. You've heard Joe Pesci. You know, uh Ray Liotta's in this. Frank Vincent is has a, a classic, you know, small scene but a big part
0: in it, you know, as Billy Bats. Frank People Vincent who- and Joe Pesci, by the way, they have a running kind of tension and feud throughout Scorsese movies. Mm-hmm. In Raging Bull. <laughs> yeah. They had this they had a little feud going Pesci beats the crap out of him outside of a club, even in like casino. So like like there's a little bit of, of, of uh back and what? forth with him. Yeah. In
1: reality, they grew up together. Yeah. and are in a singing, like a comedy group. So, like, they're close friends. But yeah, yeah there, there's a few, few films <laughs> where, like, they're, they're these two guys who are tight in real life, but uh, very violent toward each other, their characters. But I, I think you look at it and you can really see all these people who he's worked with. I think he's got them all, minus, you know, De Niro with Raging Bull, but they're all at their best. They're all throwing their fastest ball to me, like Joe Pesci to me. This is him at he won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. I, and I just think the way Marty just does things, the way Marty, you really get inside Henry's Henry Hill, who Ray Liotta played the main character. His fascination, you see from a young boy, why he was fascinated with this lifestyle, and you get that perspective. You can go and you flip it right to uh, Lorraine Brock, Karen! You know, Karen, you know, Karen! <laughs> you know, you go to her and you see why. Some people may say, why did she fall in love with him or why did she stay? But I think that scene where he stands her up and then like Joe Pesci drives her. And then she's like in front of all these guys, like she's calling out Henry.
0: What the fuck? You got some nerves standing, Mia. Nobody does that to me.
1: Who the hell do you think you are? Frankie Valley or some oh. kind of big shot? <laughs> slow down, slow down, all right? I forgot. I thought it was next week. It was Friday, it was this Friday, and you agreed, so you're a liar! <laughs> Come on. We could talk about this, all right? Take it easy. Talk about it? Talk to you after what you just did to me? Forget it. I'm not talking to you oh, about it. Wait a anything. second, I thought you were gonna stand me up. You look bored. You didn't say anything. What do you expect? And then he's kind of like, what? I didn't think you were interested. What? What? And to me, Thomas, as a guy, I'm like, that's total. You can tell that's BS. Yeah. What he's giving her. But he's flipping because he sees the moxie and the toughness and the fight in her. And it's kind of bringing like, wow, she got the guts to do this. He's attracted. But then you see her flipping where she's there. She's mad at him, but she's being wooed by his charm. And I think that's just where it's like. It's so easy for people who aren't in those scenarios to be like, why would he join that life of crime? Why would she pick to be with him? Maybe better than any of his films, he shows I mean to a T. He foons like you like hand like right to your mouth of why you're going to go and you can understand why they're making these decisions. I'm not saying they're right decisions, but you get why. And I think the brilliance of that Copacabana scene The way he shot that when, you know, after that whole, you know, they finally agree to have a real date. And then when Henry parks and he goes through the back kitchen and man, how it's shot, I think it's pure genius. And it's something that like you should show in film schools of like just all that
0: you're taking in in that scene. is just amazing, Thomas. That tracking shot is great. And that's an example of great editing. And I want to shout out Thelma Shoemaker who's an amazing editor she did raging bull as well she did goodfellas and a lot of that tracking shot in the copacabana was editing they kind of i think they did that they pieced it together and stuff and thelma shoemaker and scorsese both had this vision and put it on screen just beautifully i mean this whole movie is really beautifully shot and deremy this is a movie in which we've had this conversation before we talked about it at the end of the beatles episode Mm -hmm. and i've had to check myself on goodfellas because i've compared it to other movies that people like to put up there with goodfellas so i've had to check myself as far as comparing it to other movies and taking to heart what other people think of it so Mm. for example i've come across people who say goodfellas is better than the godfather my favorite movies are the godfather movies i get defensive but goodfellas is a good or great movie in in its own right so it doesn't matter if other people think of it more highly than i do so i've had Mm -hmm. to like check myself as far as like am i am i do i have a negative slightly negative view of this movie because of the movie or because somebody had the the audacity to say it was better than the godfather or Mm -hmm. something so rewatching this like i it's a fun fun movie like i'm not as interested as in the character study aspect but that's fine I mean, it's still there. Like you, you learn about like why somebody would want to be in this life. Why somebody, as you mentioned, why somebody would want to be with somebody who's in this life. But it's so such a so damn entertaining movie. And Scorsese does that really well, too. He makes movies that are just like fun to watch. You're in this world and it's just so, so entertaining. And I mean, there's a reason I don't think it's his best movie, but there is a reason why a lot of people do for sure.
1: Yeah, and, and I think this key I think it's maybe looked at as his signature. I would agree with you. I and if I did say that I pop I I think the signature movie. I think it's a movie people say first for sure. him. No, it is. I don't think I agree. I don't think it's his best. <laughs> but man, I'll tell you what. I agree right with what you said and I understand where you're coming from and I think the the at
0: least definitely The Godfather 1 is better than Goodfellas. Yeah. The Godfather Part 2 for the record is my favorite movie of all time yeah part two is yeah okay yeah yeah so i i
1: can understand (laughs) i agree with you i think both godfathers are better movies than goodfellas yeah i don't think it's crazy though if someone were to say i can understand why they would say goodfellas for the fact that it's not the godfather can be like a character like a family i look at that as like family and capitalism this is strictly to the mob this is a going back in time piece, but The Godfather's really going back in time. So I think if someone doesn't want to go far back, you know, this kind of goes back, you know, a little bit in the 60s, but in the 70s and the like early 80s. I could understand that for them. So I do understand. I don't agree. I agree with you, but I could understand, which I think is a testament to this movie. Yeah. I'm not surprised if someone likes this over The Godfather.
0: No, me either. Uh, if somebody would rather watch Goodfellas than The Godfather, I get it. Because The Godfather is paced a little differently. Goodfellas is more of a romp through the whole movie Mm -hmm. than The Godfather movies. So I could see somebody preferring to watch The Godfather or The Goodfellas for sure. With Goodfellas, it's an interesting perspective. You're getting the perspective of like the button men, kind of the lower level or mid level folks in the mob. With The Godfather, you're getting the perspective of the dawn. Yes. But with Goodfellas, you're getting like the. Uh, The like I said, like the mid tier people, the button men, like like Mm -hmm. the more into the weeds, getting your hands dirty kind of folks in the mob. And looking back, like I love how Scorsese plays with perspective here, too. Like we see at the beginning of the movie, we see an idealized version of the mob through Henry's like nostalgic childlike eyes. The way Henry's talking about the mob, it's like a child wanting to be part of this club. Right, He's like right. glorifying it, and it, but it's through his eyes, and it's nostalgia. It's still like Henry the teenager talking about the mob. So I love that perspective, and it starts slowly morphing from the child perspective to like current day Henry. So we see different perspective uh, perspectives changing throughout the movie. I think that's that's really well done, Jeremy. No, I agree.
1: I I do think you can, and it shows it. No one can honestly, to me, watching this film, say he's glorifying the mob. Like, you know, he's giving the highs, but he, you get the lows. You really want to be part
0: of this life? Like, yeah, exactly. Think, yeah, no, no watching you this know, movie doesn't mean you want it.
1: No, I feel anxiety the whole time watching it. And not like saying, you know, in a bad way, but just being like, no, never. I don't care how much, like, that's, that's not the life for me. Like, so, like, it, you, you know, you can't. Mistaken that, but even you know, can we say, and not that size matters when it comes to intimidation. I mean, it's a can be a factor, but I think anyone who knows, or if you have, look at Joe Pesci's not a physically big person. Yeah, which to me makes it impressive. Where there's very few. I can only think of maybe a couple of characters in movie history who scare you more than you know Tommy DeVito and Goodfellas. Talk about just scare. I mean. When he, that whole scene of, what do you mean I'm funny? You think I'm funny?
0: Yeah, classic, just like but there's like terror or dread. How scared are you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm afraid
1: when I see that scene, man. It's insane. Like, But Thomas, the brilliant of that is he scares me throughout, but I still find humanity with him after they, you know, Beat down a guy in Henry's bar. They go to Tommy, you know, Joe Pesci's character, Tommy's mom's house. And you see, like, hey, this loving mom who loves her son. And you see how much he loves his mom. He even humanizes this guy who is so demented and dark and is a killer and scary and kills for no reason a lot of times in this movie. But you still have a humanizing scene with, and that mom, Tommy's mom, is played by Marty Scorsese's real mom. Yep but it's just like it's amazing
0: like wow you can humanize even that guy the brilliance of of Marty well even before when when Tommy thinks he's going to go get made he dresses up and he tells his mom like how do I look and so he yeah. has that interaction with his mom she's I'm so proud of you she says like seems like she knows that he's going to go get made it seems like she's well aware of what he does like from the sound of their conversation but but they kind of Scorsese shows that Tommy, his connection with his mom right before and this movie came out in nineteen ninety, so whatever. Well, right no before spoilers. he goes right before he goes to get whacked. He thinks he's right. gonna get made. He gets whacked. But we do see right at the end of his life that he's asking his mom how he looks, cause he's about to go get made and he's wearing his suit. So just Joe Pesci to me was the standout of this Absolutely. Movie. every 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 scene that stood out to me it was. Pretty much Joe Pesci, and it involved him. The one with uh, him and Spider, Michael Imperioli. That was tense right there, and he Imperioli stands up to him.
1: Next thing you know, he's going to be coming in one of these fucking walkers. Even though
0: you got that, you could dance,
1: huh? (laughs) Give
0: us a a couple of fucking steps here, Spider. (laughs) You fucking bullshit of you. Tell the truth, you're looking for sympathy. Is that uh, it, sweetie? Why don't you go fuck yourself, Tommy? (laughs)
1: Oh, so I can't believe what I just heard. Hey, Spider, here.
0: Here, this is for you. a <laughs>
1: <laughs> respect for this. He's got a lot of fucking balls.
0: And and then as soon as he says that, mm-hmm. you're sitting there's an audience member going, "Oh no!" Like you you feel dread because you know Tommy, and you're just like, "Oh no, Spider!" Like and, and kind of respect you for saying that, but you don't know what's coming. And then the other mobsters like Jimmy and them. Mhm. Connor like what the hell are you doing? Like right. like they look at Tommy like what is up with you? What's going on? And yeah, so like Joe Pesci pops in this movie. He's the standout to me. By far the standout and I'm I I appreciate that she brought that scene
1: up because that shows a lot. You know, when we if if you you watch mob movies or the Sopranos and everything, you know there's certain codes that they have. They have their law, they have their codes. That, you know, we don't understand. We're not in that lifestyle. And as painful as that scene is, and I think maybe the most pain, I think that's the most painful scene, like the one that like breaks your heart, at least for me, in that movie. I'm glad Martin Scorsese that that's in there because you even see Henry's reaction like, oh, he's, he's dead. Once he does that, after Michael Imperioli's spider sticks up for himself, and you see Jimmy, Robert De Niro's character, being like, what's the matter with you? Why'd you do it? Like, so it's like, even then, like they're calling him out like, hey, you got mad because you were busting his chops, you shot the guy in the foot, he sticks up for himself, and you kill him because he stuck up for himself verbally? Mm-hmm. Like, you broke the code right there. And Tommy broke the code in other ways, that's why he gets killed in the yeah. end. Exactly. But you can understand... It's a rash decision, but you understand a little bit. You can justify why he did it. I mean, it's still awful and wrong, but here there's no justification, and I'm glad that was in that movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was that was a great scene, and just a, yeah, fantastic movie. I Agree with you. Probably his signature movie. Yeah, first thing that people think of. I knew where we were gonna get to it. I was yeah, halfway thinking like, are we gonna play chicken? With this movie, and then <laughs> who's gonna who's gonna uh, swerve first? And it was you, but I'm if you hadn't picked it here, I was gonna pick it. Uh, I had so many choice. scenarios going through
1: my mind <laughs> this week of what's going on. I will be honest. Me saying Goodfellas with my second choice was not one of them. I thought you were going to take another, and I'm like, I better. I'm going to have to use it for the first choice yeah. and get it out the way. The fact that it, it went to my second choice surprises me in a good way but i was just like i did not plan this one out like that i thought i'm gonna have to use it early one of us is saying it
0: in the first two choices so yeah it's the game of it so Mm -hmm. it, it did get brought up for sure so we have raging bull taxi driver the king of comedy and goodfellas so this is tough this is our fifth choice my third choice and I'm, I'm wavering a little bit. Can I Just say three. this real quick okay. to you? say it,
1: Jeremy. I have never not envied you more so far in our show. It's a small history. But if having to make this third pick, like, usually in the other topics you pick, I'm like, I could do this. Yeah. This is a very hard choice, man. I do not envy you at all. Like, this, I've never been like, I'm so glad Thomas picked Scorsese and not <laughs> me because... This is this is a
0: very hard third choice. Because you yeah, you got your two out of the way. Uh, mm-hmm. I narrowed it down to two movies, though. So do I go with uh, uh, the ah the fun one? But they're uh, really good. Okay. Alright, I'm gonna be a wimp right now. Mm-hmm. Alright, so my fifth choice is the departed. Did you know me? No. No.
1: Well, I'm the guy that tells you there are guys you can hit and there's guys you can't. And that's not quite a guy you can't hit, but it's almost a guy you can't hit. So I'm going to make a fucking rolling on this right now. You don't fucking hit him. You understand?
0: To me, it's, it's just fun. And it's, to me, it's paced so well. That's what really sticks out to me. The pacing and the, the interesting story. I really like and I know it's a, it's a remake of a foreign film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but I, I really like the, the story about like a, a rat looking for a rat. They're both like Matt Damon is a mole for Costello in the law enforcement and DiCaprio is a mole for law enforcement in the Costello uh, gang. So there's like that tension, that tension keeps building up like who knows what Oh, they're going to find out. So I think like throughout the movie. And the, the Dropkick Murphys soundtrack, a lot of the songs that they use, especially, on um, shipping up to Boston by the mm-hmm. Dropkick Murphys, really adds to that pacing and the tension. And you're just kind of wondering, like, who's going to find out first? Who knows what? Who's involved in what? So it's just a really engaging. It's a thrill ride. And Scorsese, I think this is an example of Scorsese being able to do thrill rides and just fun popcorn movies. Really well. This I think that yeah, this movie did win Best Picture. Oh, definitely uh, did. Yeah, it definitely did. DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson, who turns it up to eleven in this movie. Yeah, Martin Sheen, Mark Wahlberg, Vera Farmiga, just a loaded cast. Uh, little cartoonish. Alex Baldwin. Alec Baldwin yeah, <laughs> yeah. Geez, movie's a little cartoonish, but I think that was by design. Uh, Like I said, Jack Nicholson really goes for it. But just the intrigue and tension that's in the storytelling is kind of what sells this movie for me. Like We're ahead of the cops regarding Matt Damon. And we're ahead of Costello regarding DiCaprio. And it's just like an intriguing sort of like something has to give kind of situation. I won't veto it because it was the one that I was going to go to if I... It was going to be my
1: fallback, and I thought about it, and I'm like, "Is this too?" I'm with you. I was like, "This is a corny, is this a corny answer?" Because I do really enjoy this movie. I really like this movie on a personal level, and then I'm also like, "This is the one that he finally won best director for, right. and all that stuff." Which I'm like, doesn't matter for essential. You don't the award doesn't really, in my opinion, doesn't coincide. It's not like this is what he won an award for. So like, it doesn't matter in that way, but. To kind of summit, to connect it all, we talked about character studies. And I think this is, in a way, the ultimate character study where it's a culmination of his career within the Oscar. It's a culmination of a career as a filmmaker of doing these where now, hey, we're looking at DiCaprio's character. He's a cop, but he's undercover. And why is his character, they choose, they pretty much go to his character like that is because it's not his fault. He came up in a family, all these people in his family committed crimes, and what we should be doing is really giving, hey, he chose the right way. He didn't go down that line, but what does the system do? They use that to being like, hey, we'll have you infiltrate this gang because you know what? You come from a family of criminals. So, you know, it's like, man, he kind of got, even st- Even though he's doing the right thing, that his family's mess ups puts blood on his hands and he gets put in that spot. Matt Damon has the look of the all American boy. This great guy, great cop has the great, you know, uh fiance, all this stuff, the great life, the guy everyone would want to be the hero. And he's been in the Costello gang for so long. And that back and forth of who is who, what is what I think that's where I say yes. And I agree with you because it's the ultimate of, you can't tell, who was who, and you can't judge a book by its cover. And I think yeah. that is, a lot of times, what Marty's showing. You want to say, this person's all bad, this person's all good. And we all know that. There's no, we're all gray, all of us as people. Yeah. So I think he does it
0: great in this. Well, people are looking for their identities in this movie. Like, uh, Leo uh, literally says or Costigan, yeah, uh, he literally says, I just want my identity back. He tells Matt Damon's character. Matt Damon struggling with his identity, I think, because part of it is like he knows he's working for Costello and that's what he's been groomed to do since he was a kid. Mm -hmm. But part of me thinks he really likes being a cop and he likes that life. And he he wants to be maybe a normal guy with a fiancé But he still has, he's indebted to Costello at the same time. Costello is an FBI informant too. So he's like playing with this, like straddling the lines. He's out for himself. But I find that interesting in terms of like people trying to find their identities in this movie. No, I think it's interesting as
1: well. And I like that you brought that up because I think it's amazing on how you really feel the angst of undercover work. Both, you know, for the cops, but also the other way as well. And I think it's interesting that you said about Matt Damon's character because you do feel a tug of war. But I think it's different. I think he likes the accolades that being a cop, the mm-hmm. star factor, the I'm a good guy, and all those things, and what comes with it. I think in all any job, anything that we see, even if it looks like glamorous or the like behind it. It's a lot of grunt work, a lot of hard work that people don't see that you got to go through, a lot of sacrifice. And I don't think Matt Damon's hooked on that because I think if he was, then he wouldn't be with Costello. I think he loves how he's perceived, how he's looked at by society, mm-hmm. and what comes with that, and that's his struggle of like, I kind of, I just want to get this over with and be done with because I want to be the fake, you know, like hey, golden boy kind of person to everyone. But I think he's always got that tie to Costello.
0: Yeah, I think you're right as far as his place in society. But he, There was a scene where he's he's purchasing, he's buying his apartment. Mm-hmm. And the guy even tells him, you know, you get into this apartment after a week, you're upper middle, you're upper class, essentially. And that yeah. that, that appeals to, to his character, for sure. Uh, so, I, yeah, I think that's interesting. It almost, almost seemed to me, too, like when, after he killed Costello, that maybe Damon's character was a little relieved. That Costello mm-hmm. was out of the picture, yeah. in a lot of ways because he did feel like this burden to be tethered, right, to him. Right, even Absolutely. though he still liked having the power and all of that, I think it was ultimately starting to become a burden, <laughs> yeah, for for Matt for Matt Damon's character. So you know, that that's really interesting. And Jeremy, I'm reminded when I watch this movie. So there's a uh, an Islands of Adventure in in Tampa, Florida. Mm-hmm. There's a ride. It's it's the Hulk ride, I believe, and I don't know if it's still there. And I am going somewhere with this. So that ride starts out. You're in the roller coaster. It's a roller coaster and you're in the cars and you just kind of get let up slowly. Mm-hmm. And then you stop and then it just shoots you. And then the ride starts. That, that's how this movie begins. That's what this movie reminds me of is that ride at Islands of Adventure. Because like the first 15 or 20 min- minutes, it's all set up. We're getting the characters locked into place we're getting to know them we know matt damon matt costello and he's a mole uh he's costello's mole in the fbi or in the police force and all that but then about 15 to 20 minutes in that dropkick murphy song kicks in and the title card shows up and then it's almost like we're off we need you pal you've already pretended to be a costigan from south boston every weekend sergeant perfect do it
1: again for me.
0: and it creates this anticipation of like okay here we go strap in and then it creates yeah. this like excitement and sets you up for the rest of the movie that's just sort of a, a ride so that that's how I feel watching this I think it was a is it was a really neat way to kick off the movie is almost like all right strap in here we go after after like 15 to 20 minutes you're just you're in for it well you know what's funny is um I'll be honest
1: very recently Someone kind of I heard people talking about it and I never looked at it, but like acting can be competitive, like in like like a competition. When you have a few actors on screen uh, and like they're in a scene together, it's kind of like sometimes it's like, OK, this guy brought it. Now, is this person going to bring it. And I think hearing what you just said, that's what this movement is like. Here we go, because there's scenes with DiCaprio and Jack Nicholson and they're bringing it. I knew your father. You know, he's
0: dead. Oh, sorry. How'd he go? man? He didn't complain? Hates. Yeah, that was his problem. Who said he had a problem? I just said he had a fucking problem.
1: There's a man could have been anything. Are you trying to say that he was nothing? Look. I'm saying he worked at the airport. Clean. Damon and Nicholson bringing it you got uh, especially DiCaprio and Wahlberg and that yeah. tension Baldwin and, and Wahlberg there's Baldwin a scene there between yeah. them yeah, you know everyone's just trying to like you have all these great actors, great performers and you can feel like the plot line, the storyline is here we go, but their performances kind of feel like one-upsmanship like here we go, I'm going to deliver I'm delivering it, and it's just bringing that intensity and I think that's but in a good way, it's like an intense film from start to finish.
0: Yeah, it's just incredibly well paced. So that's our five, everybody, our five essentials that we wanted to talk about in this episode. We got Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, The King of Comedy, Goodfellas, and The Departed, our five essential Martin Scorsese movies. Dare me, You got any honorable mentions? Anything that you considered that you wanna throw a shout out to?
1: I guess um Mean Streets is one that I thought about because it set the the standard for what a score like that's the one that you're like this is what we're gonna be seeing from this great director. Like the first like, oh that's a Scorsese film, I think is like Mean Streets. But I felt like If I'm just going to go by that's the first, that's not good enough to be like, this is essential. So that's why, for me, it was left off. And I do believe it's it's a, it's a heck of a movie. I also kind of feel, and I'll say what you just said, go with me on this. And it may not be a popular opinion, but the TV show Freaks and Geeks, right? Yeah. I remember when that show came out, and I liked it, and I was sad that it got canceled. But then years later, after the whole Judd Apatow, Rogan, they all blow up. Now everyone knows about it, and then it becomes like this is one of the this is like the top ten sitcom ever. And I'm like, whoa! Now we're it shouldn't have been canceled, but now we're jumping. And I'm like, I think people are jumping because all these people got mega famous. I think Mean Streets is a heck of a movie, but it gets jumped because oh, this is Scorsese, Keitel. De Niro before they were stars, and I'm like, if the three of them weren't stars, would we still be talking about Mean Streets? Oh, so that's why I left
0: it off. Oh, I agree. No, that's a uh, it, it's an, it's important and it's well worth a watch if you like Scorsese movies and you haven't seen Mean Streets, you could see the genesis of it. But I agree with you. Uh, I put it on my list, but I didn't cons- I didn't give it like a really proper, thorough consideration after thinking about it. The one movie that I did give really hard consideration for was Killers of the Flower Moon. That was Mm. just released in October. I almost picked it instead of The Departed. The only reason why I didn't is because I feel like I need to... I've seen it once. I feel like I need to see it again. Let it simmer a little bit. I still feel like it's too new. But there's a chance that I might be looking back... In a few years and saying I should have picked Killers of the Flower Moon. Because to me, no. Jeremy, we both saw it. But to me, this was damn near a masterpiece. And it was up there as far as like maybe this and The Departed is his best since Casino for me. I, 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 I want to know what you feel about Killers of the Flower Moon. But I was I was really blown away by this movie. I, I think definitely hands down of, of the,
1: the 21st century, not even close that this is his best film it's really hard because like obviously you know it's not best but it's already to me just seeing it one time like you it's no lower than it's definitely automatically a top 10 Scorsese film yeah. i honestly think it could be a top 5 Scorsese film already just seeing it once why i kind of hesitated on essential was for what you everything you said needing it to see it again and also does this personify Marty? Because there's a couple things in here that I'm like, with this movie, that I'm like, I'm really torn about. And not that he did anything wrong. Mm-hmm. I just think it comes back to that adage of representation. And he didn't do, he got the Osei, and he did everything and tried to make it accurate. And this, since this is a new movie, I won't do spoilers, but that final scene yeah. stuck with me. And then oh, I was... Sure. I, I wasn't sure, but then letting it marinate and, you know, talking to people, I'm like, oh, that's a brilliant thing. But I'm kind of just like, man, should this have been told through the eyes of the Osage as like those characters, the point of view of the Osage characters, in my opinion? And that was the one thing that I'm like, I'm not sure how I feel about it. Not that I'm saying I'm mad or he's wrong, but that's why I can't put on the list yet.
0: No, that's fair. I will say this. I read the book. I read Killers of the Flower Moon before seeing the movie. Yeah. And the movie, to me, is more from the perspective of the the Osage than the book even is. The book focuses a lot on the FBI aspect. Yeah, it does. Really. And it's a great book. But to me, by him focusing on the relationship that he focused on in the movie... I think that we, I think there was more of an Osage kind of perspective. You see Molly's perspective throughout the movie. And it was hard to totally see Molly's perspective because of the stuff that she was going through. There were kind of physical reasons why we couldn't see her perspective the entire time. And those, that stuff did happen to her. So this was all like factual. And, but I think it, Scorsese did take consideration as far as, as what you're saying. And I would be curious. I loved this movie. I think I honestly think it's better than The Departed. I think it's his best since Casino. So that's back to 1995. But like, I would love to see an Osage person telling this story. And for many reasons, political reasons and uh, all those reasons, you know, there's we haven't seen an Osage perspective on this movie. But I agree with you. I would I, I would absolutely love that. And I think Marty knew he was limited and especially how how the movie ended. He basically acknowledged through the storytelling, through the method that 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 the perspective was limited Um, but I definitely agree I would love to see another perspective but I think this movie to me was like a masterpiece and what I loved about it and again this is not a spoiler you find out very quickly it's not a whodunit I think a lot of people may have been wanting it to be a whodunit or expecting it to be but it's not Mm -hmm. so we're in the perspective of we as the audience know who's behind everything so then it gives us kind of a we can just sit back and relax and just see it unfold and see how it's affecting people. And basically we're watching the devil like pillage the lives of these great Osage people. And we're not trying to find out who did it, but we're trying, we're, we're basically seeing the effects of the person doing it. You know what I'm saying? I, thought yeah. that, I liked that. I liked that perspective.
1: And, and I think it's a perspective that that's why I say, this is not me saying, Coming at Marty Scorsese yeah. at all like it's not I understand and I think he did everything he could do right as you know close to it you know besides I looked at it um, the movie Air I, that came out this year the Michael Jordan Nike movie that you know had Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and that's something that I didn't like which is like it's a good movie but showing it from the the, the courage and the the bravery and the being wow, like impressed with comes from Michael Jordan's mom, mm-hmm. you know, Viola Davis. She does a great job, but she's a supporting care. And to me, it's like, we're focusing on what Nike was going through. And that takes away a little bit. And that's the only thing I can say about the thing that I kind of like knocked was the strength of the OSA. Cause to me, the story is in the tragedy that happens to these people, but then the strength to still carry on afterwards. As a nation, as a people, because guess what? As we know with generational trauma, even if you weren't there, you're feel the sons, the children are feeling it. The grandchildren feel this, the great grandchildren, but yet still holding strong to their traditions and to their like, you know, what their values and beliefs. That to me is what I would have liked to have seen more of. And maybe we talked about it. Scorsese does brilliant of switching back and forth the point of view. I maybe would have liked more switching than of that point of view, just for me. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, to be fair, true. I I could change. I could watch it a couple more times and say, no, he couldn't have. I you know, it's fresh, but that that's what I take away so far.
0: I think that's a fair perspective, and it's probably out of Scorsese's scope. So it'd probably be good, like to ask another filmmaker uh, to share that perspective. But I definitely agree with everything that you shared i think that's all very fair i think this is de niro's in killers of the flower moon i think it's his best performance in quite a long time absolutely like we're i'm talking like it's probably a top for me it's probably like a top five de niro performance at the very least i he feel like this
1: it, it's the best performance by him and this you may be like i'm crazy since the first like meet the parents which came out like in 2000 i thought he was, I was gonna go further parents. back
0: than that yeah yeah i know that's why i'm like people over i think meet <laughs> yeah. the parents
1: is one of the most overlooked oh, movies good. now No, he's like really that, good in that that first one was a great film and he yeah. he played that part great like to me but i think yeah so of this century at least but
0: oh no he was fantastic lily gladstone was awesome as molly mm-hmm. in this she's gonna she's been getting acclaim and rightfully so leo was great so the acting was top notch, and there was a lot of really great. great storytelling choices in here. So uh yeah, my one of my honorable mention was Killers of the Flower Moon. I think it's uh Scorsese's well, I'd I mentioned Eddie Murphy had a Nolan Ryan movie. This is Scorsese's, like, what's Satchel Page movie? Like, what who is an eighty-year-old pitcher? 80 oh, yeah. yeah. Pitcher, you know, right. Uh, Scorsese's still throwing a fastball. <laughs> he really is <laughs> with, with this movie, man. This was this was awesome. I, and Jeremy, I had before we get out of here, I have I like to have like kind of one one burning question mm-hmm. for you. And this comes up a lot when talking about Scorsese and even other directors. It came up with Oppenheimer and Christopher Nolan. I wanted to ask you, is it important to you that a director makes it clear to the audience whether or not they condone the actions of the characters in the movie? Do you need the director to do that as an audience member that's a really
1: great question i i will say i'll say this i don't need you to make it clear i do have a problem if you're kind of slam dunk making it seem like you do condone it if i'm answering if that makes mm-hmm. any sense like if you leave it i think travis bickle right to compare it there's some grade you don't know like But I think it's clear on this is a reflection of society. He's not saying go out and do this. But you see at the end, he's kind of looking like glorified. So some people may say, but I think, no, that's I look at society being like, oh, you're praising this. You're condoning it. But I don't think he made it clear. Like he doesn't have to make it clear. And Travis suffered. And, you know, by the way, this is wrong. And do not do this, children. I don't think you have to do that. But I don't want to see you pushing it where I'm like, I think you might be in favor of this behavior either.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, interesting. I know I know. Um, the Wolf of Wall Street gets criticized for that. I don't need my directors to be my moral compass. So Ali, I do mind yeah. if like Scorsese, he depicted like in the Wolf of Wall Street, he depicted Jordan Belfort. Just basically showed what Jordan Belfort did in Jordan Belfort's words and from his perspective. But Scorsese's not like saying I disagree with this. He's not giving Jordan Belfort consequences because, to be frank, Belfort didn't really suffer consequences much like in his real life. Mm -hmm. But that that, it gets criticized for that. But I don't. I I I, I can I think as an audience member, I can watch what's being depicted and decide for myself if I if I think Jordan Belfort is a scumbag or if he's aspirational. There's two things. Okay, so I feel like. Everybody, you should have that right. So I thought you...
1: So for me, I was answering as a film, like, viewer. Yeah. I don't like... I'm not going to like that movie as much if I feel like you're making... If you're, like, promoting something bad.
0: Is it necessary for you, though, to get the directors? No, it's not necessary. I like Grey. I like where... Because it
1: can lead to the conversation. But you should have that right. So bringing up the wolf of wall street i totally agree with what people say i didn't like that movie i think it's mm-hmm. one of scorsese's worst because it was just to me it wasn't like be my moral compass but it just kept showing i got tired of like excess excess <sighs> excess that's what that excess. movie was
0: it was just like
1: and i got was, tired it was of just it
0: all Belfort just on a rise and there were there was no adversity no nothing it was just like Here it is. And And even when he went to jail, he was just playing tennis. It was like a club. Yeah. And to
1: me, you can show, I look at it like decisions. Like you could show that, but still give me more character or story or whatever. Mm -hmm. It was just excess, bigger parties, more women, more this, more bigger yacht, bigger. So I didn't like it. But I think he he should have that right to do it. It's just my personal taste. I didn't like that. Okay. Because to me, when I walked away from it, there is no discussion. Having And I saw that with people. To me, it was like, yeah, he kept getting more and more and more. And it was too much. And then he still got no punishment. What's next? What are you doing tomorrow? It didn't that leave. So commentary I
0: commentary st- in itself. Like this dude got no punishment. I yeah. yeah. But I can tell, I can agree with you though. Like I, can, I see what you're saying as an audience member. It's just like, okay, this is, you know, we get it. it
1: It's just like, man, did you remember that part where Jonah Hill and him are high? Like, that's all I'm talking about. And it's just like, it didn't go too deep into something. And that's what lacked. And I feel like comparing it to, I hate to do it, but Goodfellas, I got the excess or the glamour from that Copacabana shot of them walking through of like, oh, the power alluring you. But I didn't feel like it was so much excess. But everything I needed to know about why... She why he's hooked to the lifestyle and why she is now hooked to him Mm -hmm. came from that that you know that tracking shot through the kitchen and through the back.
0: The Wolf of Wall Street to me, if you had a little bit more of that, yeah, I would have liked it more. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I uh, I that's just a discourse, quote unquote, that kind of happens sometimes with current movies. Oppenheimer that uh, happened a lot. They said people said that the Christopher Nolan was glorifying Oppenheimer whatever so that was that's just a topic i wanted to bring up because I i'm think, glad i think, I think uh, scorsese definitely gets criticized for for that a little bit so i'm glad you shared your take on that yeah i'm glad you asked that i'm, I'm
1: i really am i think it's an interesting topic i agree with the wolf of wall street i don't agree with overall with marty scorsese's mm-hmm. body of work i don't think that would be a fair critique of him though
0: Okay. Okay. So we we know that if I would have picked Wolf of Wall Street, Jeremy Veto had that veto, he had the veto ready. ready to go. <laughs> I was ready. I, I wasn't. I wasn't really close to picking Wolf of Wall Street. It was. I on thought a, you were. Yeah. It was. It was on a short, not even short list. I think I wrote down like thirteen or fourteen Scorsese movies initially, mm-hmm. and that was on the list. But it, uh, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't close to making it. So, so you can relax, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Good <laughs> oh, to know. Man. Yes. Uh next week. So we presented you this week with our five essential Martin Scorsese movies. What do we got in store next week, Jeremy?
1: Next week this one is special for the history of our podcast cuz I believe it's the genesis of how we came up with, you know, the idea of of doing a show, but we're going to look at essential grunge songs next week. And you know, when we do the episode both thomas and i will talk more about what i mean by that so i'm giving a little teaser but next episode will be essential grunge songs which i'm excited for
0: yeah man that's definitely what i consider it maybe the reason why this podcast exists because you and i started talking about grunge and then it evolved Mm -hmm. into general pop culture so yeah this is a really special one i got my playlist already and i've been listening and taking notes and so it's been a fun couple weeks here just starting to formulate my essential grunge songs. It's been a really nice trip down memory lane a lot of these songs man. Like it's just been it's been awesome to start prepping for this one. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait for it. It's going to be a fun one. Absolutely. Well, you see you next week. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture 5 for Jeremy Dove, I'm Thomas Senna. So long everybody. Peace. some such.